It was in or around August 1887 that Louis Le Prince left Paris for Leeds, England. With him came his 16 lens motion picture machine. Before him lay just over two years of triumphs and tragedy. Shadow Traps, Episode 38, The To Be or Not To Be, A Revelation Before the Second Sleep. Le Prince had taken pictures in Paris with the 16 lens machine. The images that we discussed last episode were exposed onto a single plate of glass rather than gelatine strips which meant they couldn't be played back which meant that the machine at that specific point was not entirely completed. However, we also saw that the prince sent some images back to Lizzie, which apparently were on gelatine strips, and Adolphe tells us that the machine was completed. Who to believe? How much to believe? Perhaps looking at what Le Prince did on his return to Leeds might help. Leeds was one of the most populous market towns in the West Riding of Yorkshire and a town that was at the heart of an industrial revolution being the principal seat and emporium of the woolen manufacture in England. It was the town of a thousand trades and not only was it replete with the resources and expertise Le Prince needed but there was specific help at hand in the form of Le Prince's father-in-law, Joseph Whitley. Joseph Whitley was not only an engineer and businessman, but also an inventor who would spend thousands of pounds on experiments and who would be greatly interested in anything unusual. Joseph was an enthusiastic supporter of his son-in-law's experiments and Le Prince obviously trusted him. Le Prince had written to Whitley back in 1887 from the States, and his letter had obviously described his work, because in a letter back to Lizzie, Joseph had written, My dear Lizzie, we are delighted with your buoyant hope for the near future, but are afraid of any partnership before the patent is secured, or any delay, as already several people know, if it is as shown by your letters, I shall be glad to hear when the patent is secured and have tracings of the legal drawings and terms Augustine has made with some dollar margin in exchange for his own brain power and hand labour and experiments. So Le Prince's work had obviously been described in enough detail to both please and alarm Whitley whose keen sense of the importance of patent protection had been honed by painful personal experience. Tell Augustine to write me, and if we can engage to make them, that's the machines, for the million we will do so. Whitley here was offering his help 
as a businessman and a supportive father-in-law. It was an offer consistent with the character of a man described by a relative as someone who had no regard for money excepting as a means for carrying out great ideals. Joseph was enthusiastic and his enthusiasm wasn't just fired by the commercial potential of the work but almost certainly by the romance and intellectual challenge it represented. The Whitley Partner Day Books Volumes of carbon copies of letters sent by the firm, business correspondence covering several years, are kept at Armley Mills Industrial Museum. Reading through them, you get a sense of Joseph Whitley the inventor, ambitious, relentless, restless. Interspersed between the letters pertaining to more mundane aspects of running a business, are glimpses of his enthusiasms. Telephones, for example which he was incredibly keen on sourcing and installing, and at one point there was an attempt to study minerals in the fields of Roundhay to see if he could understand the creation of precious metals. And his ideas were not always so seemingly pie in the sky. He had several patents to his name. As early as 1858, Whitley had experimented in the treatment of iron and bronze, including the manufacture of metal plates for the construction of ships and steam boilers and for other products. He'd also designed innovative moulds employed in the manufacture of spun metals and by 1885 at the Inventions Exhibition he showed the spinning of liquid metals by centrifugal force. So I can't help but feel that Joseph Whitley and Louis the Prince were kindred spirits and Joseph seems to have made good on his promises to help his son-in-law because in fact parts of the machines were indeed made at the Whitley foundry. So what was made in Leeds and what was filmed and was it more than we realise? has become associated with sequences shot on a one-lens camera by Le Prince. They're the ones that we can all find online. Round Hay Garden scene, Leeds Bridge scene, the accordion scene. And Paris is associated with a 16-lens camera. And there is, I think, a split in our minds between the one-lens in Leeds and the 16-lens in Paris. But... Arriving back in Leeds in the latter part of 1887, the Prince only had the 16 lens and it was upon this that he worked, improving it, filming with it and attempting to play back its images. So that's one common misconception re-evaluated. There's another. The story of Le Prince as it has been told and retold has become simplified so that we associate this period in the town with two things, the one lens camera and the little workshop on Woodhouse Lane in which Le Prince and his assistants worked. The workshop where a memorial plaque to Le Prince now stands, where he worked in secret, 
reluctant to let in visitors until he was sure of who they were, and the workshop where moving images of continuous motion captured from real life were seen for the first time. But these things come a little later in the story, I think. In fact, the prince's first biographer, Ernest Kilburn Scott, kept a note that the ledger of Heels and Sons, the state agents of Leeds, show that Le Prince rented the property from August the 9th, 1889, to, well, we don't need to go into that yet. But what exactly was happening in the meantime? Interestingly, Adolf tells us that on his return to Leeds, Le Prince did film with a 60 lens camera. A series of a man with a hammer gesticulating and moving about. And Edgar Rhodes, whose firm would make machine parts for Le Prince, would later write that he saw images of a man with an apron at work. And another statement by him claims to have seen an animated sequence of a man who appeared to be a blacksmith. So there are all these references to these images taken on the 16 lens machine and are they all of the same sequence? It seems that the priority for Le Prince back in Leeds was not so much making films but playing back his sequences. Adolphe, who was there helping his father, said that most of their time was having to be occupied with a deliverer and picture belts. So Le Prince was engaged with the task of playing back his sequences. So where and how did he go about it? Back in the 1870s, when the Le Princes were living in Park Square, one of their neighbours had been Samuel Gibson Rhodes, a dentist. His sons, Walter and Edgar, also knew and were friendly with the Le Princes. We're told that Walter, for example, was a great friend of the Le Prince and Whitley families and used to visit a great deal. Their sister had been a pupil at the Le Prince's art school. Walter and Edgar had an engineering works and it was to them that Le Prince had turned to make some parts for a rather interesting machine. To view sequences. Le Prince had had constructed at Rose Brothers the peephole viewing device with two alternating discs which had been one of the casualties of his US patent. It's exciting to hear that this device hadn't been lost, hadn't been consigned to Le Prince's imagination and nowhere else. This was the viewer that had been attached to the main machine in the designs in Le Prince's original patent application. And it had been the first thing to go, lopped off the patent when the patent office had objected to a camera and deliverer both being included in a single patent. But here it is, reappearing in Leeds. The periphery of each wheel, wrote Edgar Rhodes, was divided into an equal number of spaces, in each of which was fixed the photographs being reproduced. 
these wheels were caused to move with an intermittent motion alternatively with each other by means of gears and stops. So you can see an image from one wheel and then as that wheel turns around to bring up its next frame we see a frame from the second wheel and that turns around and so the first frame is on wheel one the second frame is from wheel two the third frame is from wheel one etc etc and as these wheels keep spinning past our sight alternately they bring the sequence to life the photographs Rhodes saw fitted on the discs were a series of a man with an apron on at work. So could this be the blacksmith stroke gesticulating man? Rhodes's description continues. The photographs were on gelatine film and are hole punched in each corner to correspond with pins on the periphery of the wheels. Now we're becoming tangled in thickets of information here and I don't yet know how to make complete sense of things. The photographs were on gelatine film, that's photographic paper. We've seen the prince refer to a 16 lens sequence on gelatin in the last episode when he sent a strip from Paris to Lizzie. That's how the camera was designed to take pictures on film strip. But how were these images then mounted on these two wheels? We'll see later that the prince's one lens camera would take images on a strip but then those images would be taken off and individually mounted on small glass frames but here we're being told that the images are still on the photographic paper but are put straight onto the viewing wheels so i don't know exactly how that might work perhaps the frames were cut up and placed one on each segment of the wheel i'm not sure and as regards the comment about holes being punched in each corner to correspond with pins on the periphery of the wheels. This is something else that we're being told here and we'll come back to this at some point but it's important to note that this means that Le Prince was using perforations in his film, not in his camera but in his viewing devices. The reason I draw attention to this is because one of the fundamentals of filmmaking would be perforations because that would ensure the control of the movement of film. And so Le Prince already knew about perforations. So what we learn from all this is that a two-wheeled viewing device existed, was being used, it seems. And all this was happening in Leeds prior to the building of the One Lens camera. Interestingly, after the machine had left the Rhodes Brothers' works, Edgar Rhodes saw the machine again and when he did, he saw that it was now fitted with a stereopticon for projecting onto a screen. Although Rhodes doesn't claim to have seen this particular machine actually working. And I don't know how it would have worked to achieve a stereographic effect. Each eye would need to be seeing the subject shot from a slightly different angle to the other and then the brain would merge these together in 3D. A peephole device might achieve this by putting some kind of separation between each eyepiece. But once things are being projected onto a screen it becomes so much more difficult. So I suspect that we're hearing testimony from 
witnesses who are genuine but perhaps mistaken on the details? Although Adolf tells us that he saw animated pictures of a blacksmith in relief but through a peephole. And it's all a bit confusing, which is incredibly frustrating because Le Prince seems to be attempting some remarkable things here. If I were to make an educated guess as to what was actually being done and how successful it was, I would say that I find the idea of having sequences of images captured in Leeds on the 16 lens camera definitely feasible. I absolutely believe Edgar Rhodes' testimony concerning making parts for the two-wheeled viewing device and seeing it with images attached to it. I have no idea really of what was happening regarding the projection of 3D images. It can't have been the case that it was actually happening, although it may have been attempted or was being set up for an attempt. The Prince could well have taken images on the camera with the shutters going off two at a time in other words, he may have been shooting images to view in relief. And Adolf may well have seen the results of this played back through a peephole device on the two-wheel viewer. But if any of these experiments had bore real fruit, I am certain that the Le Princes would have made much more of this in their later testimonies and memoirs. And I think that that is telling. The technical details we are given combined with statements from people like Edgar Rhodes, who seems genuine, convince me that films in relief were being considered and that sequences could have been played back, but with limited success. I feel instinctively that these experiments must have fallen short of what Le Prince had hoped for them, but that nonetheless, extraordinary things were being attempted in Leeds in 1887 and Le Prince was also working on his 16 lens machine as a projector but it wasn't easy going. A letter from Le Prince to Lizzie. Roundhay, December the 2nd, 1887. The machine is going on slowly. It is stupefying to find the amount of forethought every detail and every point requires and to imagine the delays required to get the required articles to be made to meet the cases as they occur. I feel all is going well, but I am afraid I shall be delayed a while longer, perhaps up to Christmas after the machine has proved successful. I have to make a few alterations to the photographing apparatus to fit it to work for the former so as to take some winter views of sleighing, skating etc. in New York on the bright winter days. I shall know latter end of next week what time may be required and if my present attempt is successful I'll send a telegram. So some frustrations for sure and adjustments needing to be made but he was planning to shoot more sequences and he was also it seems about to make a, another attempt at playback except that problems persisted. Another letter from Le Prince to Lizzie, Roundhay, December 23rd 1887. 
I have just come from Leeds where this morning at 10 I have seen Adolf off for his first big journey. He is well posted up about trains. I could not possibly go with him. The roads who have been very slow are just finishing my machine which was to be ready tomorrow afternoon so I can have it home and try parts during Christmas holidays and have the to be or not to be settled next week. After which, in case of success, I have to be in London and Paris between the 1st and 10th of January, when all the foreign patents will have to be entered for security, as my American patent will be published by that date. It so happens that my presence in Paris is also required about some affairs with Albert and Uncle. I shall be back here towards the 12th of January when I may still have to do for a week or ten days. But of course, I shall know more by and by, and keep you posted week by week, or oftener as circumstances allow. I am getting sick of these delays, and it is a great help to me to be with dear Grandpa and Grandma and our growing Adolf, who is getting on very well in every way. It will be hard to leave him, but it will be for the best. A progress report and an emotional snapshot perhaps. We can feel the frustration with the way things are going or not going. We can feel the affection felt for his family. The prince is busy looking after the growing Adolf, fixing problems with his machines, arranging to travel between Leeds, London and Paris, sorting patents, spending time with his in-laws. But there's some big news here. His US patent has been passed and is about to be published. Notice that he is aware that it will be published on the 10th of January 1888. Le Prince will be making his mark in the field of motion picture experimentation. But that also meant that his work, his precious designs, would be accessible to rivals. He knew he could not waste one second and he was already arranging to patent his designs across Europe. There's a clock ticking here. He's establishing himself as a creator of a motion picture camera and deliverer. However, we also see in this letter that he is not quite able to project his films back. He must have been excited at having his patent published but he must also have felt very vulnerable at this point as well. He needs to make progress as fast as he can. Mistakes have been made. The Rhodes brothers are working slowly and successful a prince, which I presume must mean the satisfactory playback of sequences, has not been achieved. He's going to be experimenting over Christmas, right up to the new year, and he hopes how he must hope that the to-be or not-to-be of it is settled by then. After Adolphe's departure, Le Prince continued his work into the Christmas period. In a pocketbook kept by Joseph Whitley, there was the following entry. 1.50am, 28th of December, 1887. Mr. Le Prince came to my bedside 
and told me that I have done it, viz. a new mode of photography for mechanical exhibition. What did Le Prince, or rather Whitley, mean exactly by new mode of photography for mechanical exhibition? What did he mean by I have done it? That he'd perfected what he'd been working on? Perhaps he'd got the 60 lens projector working? Or did it mean that he thought he'd found a new solution? In other words, a new camera design. And also, what was so important that Le Prince had to wake Joseph up at 10 to 2 in the morning? The normally calm, reticent Le Prince could become excitable where his inventions were concerned. He certainly had to share his news with Joseph, even if it meant disturbing him. Perhaps it wasn't that much of a disturbance, for even if Joseph had been in bed, he may have been awake. You see, it's thought that people didn't actually sleep in one long, uninterrupted block, but that bodies moved to a different rhythm back then. There was a first sleep, and then a person would often wake naturally, and there might be a period of activity before their second sleep. Ironically, one thing that would have ended this pattern would have been technology. With the invention of the electric light, for example, nature itself was challenged as humans decided where and when there would be light. I'm happy to digress about this here, not least because Le Prince himself believed in the importance of a good sleep. He would dispense advice on it in one of his letters back to Lizzie. Was his sleep to be disturbed by his work? And would it be further disturbed by the electrical wizardry of people like Thomas Edison? Anyway, Le Prince had gone to Joseph's bedside with his news, and Joseph had thought to comment on it in his notebook. And that means something happened on the 28th of December, 1887. Was Le Prince on the verge of discovering the to-be-or-not-to-be of motion pictures? Thank you very much for listening to this episode of The Shadow Traps. If you'd like to know more about this project or to support it in any way, please go to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash The Shadow Traps. Thank you very much for listening.